Good morning. Last week, I shared with you how this past fall and winter, I felt tired and worn out. I was engaged in a spiritual struggle that left me feeling, honestly, discouraged and overwhelmed. I even came to the point of wondering whether God really loved me or even cared. I think it's a feeling that we all face at one time or another in our lives. I think more often than we'd like to admit. And I know that here this morning, there are some of you sitting and wondering whether God loves you and whether He even cares. But thankfully, God does not leave us alone to our thoughts. And He provides encouragement, enrichment, and refreshment through His Word. Last week, we began looking at the benediction that Paul gives at the end of 2 Corinthians. And it's in this blessing to the Corinthian church and to each one of us where Paul declares, may the love of the, excuse me, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Last week, we focused upon the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we focused upon the truth that Jesus provides us His grace, His unmerited favor, His blessing in the free gift of salvation and in the ongoing, never-ending gift of sustaining grace, His benefit and His favor in our lives that sustains us through all the struggles and all the trials and all the obstacles of this life. This week, we're going to turn and look at the second phrase about God in this blessing, in Paul's benediction, where he writes, may the love of God be with you all. So before we dig into that, let's pray and ask God to be present and speak to us. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have brought each one of us to this place this morning to hear from you. Lord, we recognize that this morning you desire to encourage us with the truth that you are our Father and we are your children. I pray that you would open up each one of our hearts and our minds and would allow us to hear what you have to say to us. Lord, that you would allow us to feel the love that you, our Heavenly Father, has for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. It's clear to me that in writing this benediction, Paul understands exactly how many of us feel. He understands that many of us have difficulty understanding, many of us have difficulty experiencing the love of God. So in this benediction, he provides this encouragement to us that we might experience the love of God. He knows the feelings that we have. And let's be honest. Many times these feelings 
are very legitimate. There are many of you here this morning that are going through physical struggle, physical difficulty. You are maybe fighting cancer. You may be dealing with a chronic pain issue. You may have arthritis. You may have diabetes. You may have some physical ailment or malady or condition that causes you to ask, does God really love me? You may be here this morning and you're facing financial difficulty. You've lost your job. You're underemployed. Maybe it's the failure of a business. You're asking yourself, does God really love me? You may be here this morning and facing an emotional or mental struggle. Maybe you've been abused or betrayed by someone you love. Maybe someone you love has passed away. Maybe you're experiencing depression or mental illness and you're asking yourself, does God really love me? And I know there are many more struggles and many other trials that I haven't even listed that, that are being experienced by people right now in this room. But Paul understands that as well. He recognizes the struggles and the trials that we face. He saw those struggles and those trials in the Christians in the church in Corinth. So he writes to them this note of encouragement. He writes to them, May the love of God be with you all. He provides this encouragement in order that these followers of Jesus will be refreshed. May the love of God be with you all. What would it be like if down deep in your heart there was no question at all whether God loved you or not? that you knew down deep in your soul, in your being, that God loves you. Not just that He tolerates you, or not just that He likes to be with you sometime, but that He wants to be with you all the time. That He loves you. That He wants to hang out with you. That He even delights in you. What would it be like if you in your being of beings felt that way, that you knew that God loved you? How would it affect the way you view God? How would that love affect the way you look at others? How would that love affect the way you look at yourself? How would that viewpoint affect the way you look at the struggles and the trials that you go through, the physical struggle, the emotional or mental struggle, the financial struggle. If you had the understanding and the viewpoint that God loved you down deep in your soul, how would it affect the way that you view everything around you? Well, there's a little book tucked away at the end of the Old Testament, and I'd like you to turn there. It's the book of Zephaniah. And in Zephaniah, God gives us, provides for us 
a wonderful promise of truth about how he feels about you and how he feels about me. As I mentioned, it's a small book. It's tucked away in the back of the Old Testament. It's found on page 768 in the Bible that the church provides. It's in the section of the Old Testament that we refer to as the minor prophets. It's tucked between Habakkuk and Haggai. And if you're at Zechariah, you've gone too far, so jump backwards. We're going to look at Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. Zephaniah 3, 17. Listen to this promise. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. I like the way the old NIV translation says it. It says, the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. This is an amazing promise. This is an amazing truth from God. The Lord your God is with you. He is the mighty warrior who saves you. He takes great delight in you. He will no longer rebuke you. He rejoices over you with singing. Not only does God save us, but he takes this great delight in us. And if that's not enough, Zephaniah goes on to say that he'll quiet our fears and our worries with our love. That's what he means when he says he's no longer going to rebuke us. And look at that last line. Look at the last line. He rejoices over us with singing. That's amazing. Because we are his children, he rejoices over us with singing. It's often difficult to comprehend this kind of love. I think I get a glimpse of what this kind of love is like when I think about the feelings that I have for my children, the love that I have for my children. I have three children. I have Jeff, I have John, and I have Kate. And when I think about my children and I think about the way that I love them, I think I get this small echo or reflection of how God feels about me. I love my children. I think about them often. I pray for them often. I talk about them often. Hopefully not too much because it gets annoying. I know. But I love my children. I want to watch the things that they do. I, I get excited in watching them talk to their friends. I get excited in watching them talk to my friends. I get excited watching them in a graduation line or watching them play a sport. I get exciting them watching them eat a snack at night. I want to be with my children. I want to be with them when we eat dinner. I want to be with them watching TV. I want to be them with them in the car, even when they don't talk to me. I love my children. And in that love for my children, in the feeling that I have for them, I get this small little glimpse of how God feels about me. Think about this for a minute. I am an earthly, sinful man. I am an earthly, sinful father, and I love my children so much it hurts. How much more 
does our heavenly Father love us? How much more does your heavenly Father delight in you? How much does he delight in me? He rejoices in singing over us. But for some of you, this is a difficult truth in your spiritual journey. You focused on your struggles. You focused on the obstacles. Or you can't get past the judgment and the wrath that God has towards sin. And it makes it hard to comprehend this God of delight and love. This past week, I, I met with an older woman. And we were talking about her life. And she was sharing with me the experiences that she's had in her life. And she told me, she said, I just want you to know that I love Jesus so much. And she shared with me some of the things that she'd done throughout her life for Jesus. But then she says to me, you know, I, I can't get past the idea that God's judging me. So let's talk about that. She goes, I can't get past the idea that God is judging me. And I said, what do you think he's judging you for? And she talks about a bad relationship that she had more than 25 years before. And it was her guilt. Her guilt kept her from experiencing the love of God now in the presence. Her guilt kept her from enjoying the love of God. And I said, no, 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 no. I said, you can't believe what I'm studying this week. God's not thinking about that. He's with you. He's mighty to save. He delights in you. He's quieting your fears. And He is rejoicing over you and singing. That's who God is. That's who your heavenly Father is, and that is how He feels about you. But if you're like me, you may really wonder if God's delight is actually for you. This past March, when I was on my study break, I had a number of books to read, and one of the books that I read first was, called, was entitled Finding Your Calcutta. It's a story about a woman who went to serve in Calcutta with Mother Teresa, and it is a beautiful book. And in the book, I learned how Mother Teresa served Jesus by serving other people. And I read this wonderful story of this woman's experience serving with Mother Teresa in Calcutta. And it was shortly after reading that book that I read Zephaniah 3.17. And when I read Zephaniah 3.17, I had no problem at all seeing how God would delight in Mother Teresa. But does God really delight in me? And I think many of us feel that way. We think we have no problem seeing how God delights in the heroes of the faith. Abraham, Moses, Deborah, Esther, Paul, Zephaniah, the Mother Teresas of our age. We see how God delights in them. We understand that. But as I continued to study the book of Zephaniah, I came to understand that God's love and delight is not only for the heroes of the faith. God's love and delight is for all of us who are His children. He delights in you. He delights in me. And He rejoices in singing over each one of us. But if you're like me, you're a little cynical and you're a little skeptical. 
So I want to dig back into Zephaniah to see how Zephaniah can write this promise, to see how God can come to a point to declare that He delights in you. So take your Bible and look at Zephaniah. Jump back to Zephaniah chapter 1. It's just one page over. Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 1. Because looking back into Zephaniah helps us understand how we can come, how God comes to the point of speaking of this love for us. Zephaniah 1.1, it sets things up for us. The word of the Lord that came to Zephaniah, the son of Cushai, in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah. Zephaniah is a prophet of the Lord. He's a contemporary of King Josiah. So he is placed in about 600, the 600s, give or take 50 years, B.C. King Josiah is one of the good kings of Judah. He feared God. He initiated many reforms during his reign. It was about 80 years before his reign that the northern kingdom of Israel, because of their sin and idolatry, was conquered by the Assyrian Empire. And now we come to the king time of King Josiah, and unfortunately, the southern kingdom of Judah had not learned the lessons of the northern kingdom of Israel. Although King Josiah initiates these reforms, the southern kingdom of Judah continues to sin. They continue to dig deeper and deeper into their sin. So what God does is God sends a prophet. He sends Zephaniah to warn them of what's coming. And you better strap your seatbelts on because the warning is tough. Look at starting in verse 2. What Zephaniah, what God has to say to the people of Judah. I will sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will sweep away both man and beast. I will sweep away the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea and the idols that cause the wicked to stumble. When I destroy all mankind on the face of the earth, declares the Lord. Ouch. That's kind of harsh, isn't it? That is a stiff warning, and it sounds here like God is not kidding around. It's a big wake-up call. God is angry. But why the wrath? Why is he so upset? Is he out of control? Is he just insecure? No, that's not it at all. The wrath of God expressed here is the righteous and appropriate anger of God the Creator in response to the sin and the rebellion of His creatures. Zephaniah goes on to explain why God is so angry. He continues by identifying the sin of the people. Look at verse 4. I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all who live in Jerusalem. I will destroy every remnant of Baal worship in this place, the very names of the idolatrous priests, those who bowed down on the roofs to worship the starry hosts. The people had turned to false gods. They turned to false belief system. They were practicing and guilty of idolatry. Look at verse 9. They were also full of violence. On that day I will punish all who avoid stepping on the threshold, who fill the temple of their gods with violence and deceit. The people are striking out against others. These people not only trusted in their idols and their superstitions rather than the Lord, they took advantage of others. They used others for their own benefit. Look at verse 12. At that time, I will search Jerusalem with lamps and punish those who are complacent, who are like wine left on its dregs, who think the Lord will do nothing, either good or bad. 
God's upset with their complacency and their indifference. The people just didn't care. Their worship was meaningless. They're going through the motions of their faith. Just meaningless ritual. Verse 18. Neither their silver nor their gold will be able to save them on the day of the Lord's wrath. In the fire of His jealousy, the whole earth will be consumed, for He will make a sudden end of all who live on the earth. They're trusting in their riches instead of God. They're trusting in their armies, their financial resources. They're trusting in their own abilities rather than God and who He is and what He can do. And then look at chapter 3, look at chapter 3, verse 7. Listen to God's lament. Of Jerusalem, I thought, surely you will fear me and accept correction. Then her place of refuge would not be destroyed, nor all my punishments come upon her. But they were still eager to act corruptly in all that they did. Even after seeing God's judgment, the people continued to choose to rebel against the Lord by acting in their sin, by acting corruptly. That's quite a list. You see, God has designed each one of us to love Him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our mind, and with all of our strength. And here, the people of God are rebelling against that. They are rebelling against the offer of love from God. And our Creator is angry, and He has a right to be angry because He has a legitimate expectation that we should obey Him. And we see His anger here in the first two chapters of Zephaniah and into the third chapter. But here's the thing. This is what is so interesting because right here in Zephaniah, in just three, the book is only three chapters long. In these three chapters, the language of judgment, of warning, of wrath gives way to incredible descriptions of God's love, of His delight, and of His favor. We move from God, what did He say? We move from God sweeping away everything from the earth and destroying all of mankind to taking great delight in us, quieting us, and singing over us. So how do we reconcile God's wrath and His warnings of judgment with God's love and delight and singing over us? Is God just posturing with empty threats? Does He just change His mind? How does God love and delight in people who are objects of His wrath? Jesus. Jesus is the explanation for such an amazing love. You see, what happens here is Zephaniah looks into the future. He looks into the future and he sees the promise of the coming Messiah. He sees the promise of the one who is going to come and reconcile and redeem. The Savior is who is going to come and forgive the sins of the people and restore them to faith in God. So Zephaniah is able to move from wrath and warnings of judgment to God's delight and His love and quieting our fears and singing over us. And the only way He can do this is because of Jesus. Because in Jesus, there is forgiveness of sins and there is salvation that is provided. 
My sins are gone because He has taken them away. So I no longer experience the wrath and the judgment. I now experience the love and the delight and the quieting and the rejoicing and singing over me. And that's why according to Zephaniah, God is free to be generous with His love. Look at chapter 3, verse 15. Look what he writes in chapter 3, verse 15. That's why he can write, He has taken away your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. And that is exactly what Paul is reminding us in his benediction at the end of 2 Corinthians. Jump back to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, in verse 14, in this benediction, in this blessing, what does Paul first write? We learned last week, Paul first writes, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Last week, we focused upon our Savior. We focused on Zephaniah's looking towards the promised Savior, that is Jesus. We focused on His grace the grace of Jesus, His unmerited favor that is expressed in the free gift of salvation, salvation that forgives all of our sin, that wipes our slate completely free, that moves our sin as far as the east is from the west. To receive it, to receive this salvation, all we need to do is open up our hearts and open up our minds and receive the grace of Jesus by asking Him to forgive us of our sins and giving our lives to Him by declaring that we are going to place our faith and our trust in Him as our Savior and as our Lord. But Paul doesn't end there. Look at how he continues. He then says in that second phrase, may the love of God be with you all. He's saying here, may you know that God loves you. God loves you. Paul is saying that the grace of Jesus allows us to fully understand and experience the love of God. That is why he has ordered the blessing this way. First, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Then, may the love of God be with you. Another way of saying this is that when I receive the grace of Jesus, I can now experience the love of God, not his anger or his wrath. I come to know that God loves me. Ultimately, ultimately, I come to know that God loves me because of His sacrifice. Now, I've said this before. Love is a funny word. I can say, I love my wife and I love Qdoba. Not Chipotle, Qdoba. <laughs> I love my wife and I love Qdoba. Now, how does my wife know that my love for her is different than my love for Qdoba? I've told I, I love my wife and I love Qdoba. How does she know that my love for her is better, is more meaningful, is a richer love than my love for Qdoba, than my love for a burrito? How does anyone know that I love them? How does anyone know that you love them? Any one of us can say, I love you. But those are just words. How does my wife know that I love her more than Qdoba? It's when I sacrifice for her. That's when she knows that I love her more than Qdoba. How does anybody know that you love them? 
It's when you sacrifice for them because that sacrifice describes and it defines and it demonstrates the love that you have for someone. So when I clean toilets, when I do laundry, when I watch some crazy chick flick with her, she knows that I love her. Why? Because I am sacrificing of myself to demonstrate the love that I have for her. How does God demonstrate His love for us? How do we know that God loves us? How do you know that God loves you? How do I know that God loves me? Oh yes, the Bible tells us so. But in a way, those are just words. How do we know? Because He sacrificed for us. Look at what Scripture tells us about His description and demonstration of love. Look at this. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. We all know this verse, don't we? You could almost be at Calvary Church one week and you'd know this verse. I mean, up until I was like 15, that's the only verse I knew. For God so loved the world. And so many times it goes one ear and it goes like right out the other. This morning, look at that verse and let it go here, here, and down to here. God so loved the world that He gave, He sacrificed His Son for you. Hallelujah. Yeah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Do you realize, you know what, I love you people, I am not sacrificing my son for you. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Paul tells us the demonstration of that love is the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ. While you were yet a sinner. This is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. What is love? Love is sacrifice. And God presented the ultimate sacrifice for you. Why? Because He loves you. He delights in you. He rejoices in singing over each and every one of you who have called upon the name of Jesus. He rejoices over you in singing. That's why Zephaniah can go from angry wrath and warnings of judgment to a God who delights and loves you and is with you. That's why Zephaniah can write this. That's why he can write, The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you. He quiets your fears and your worries, but will rejoice over you with singing. Look at that last line. He will rejoice over you with singing. He will rejoice over you with singing. Think about that for a minute. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to hear God sing? Think about this. God spoke the entire universe into being with a word. 
the entire universe with a word. What must his singing sound like? And that singing is over you. He is rejoicing over you. Think of the wonder, of the majesty, of the God of the universe, the creator of everything is singing over you. She said, no, Tom, I can't hear it. I feel too guilty. You don't know what I did. You don't know what I did 25 years ago. You don't know what I did 15 years ago. You don't know what I did five years ago. You don't know what I did last night. What did Zephaniah say in chapter 13, verse 15? He said, he will take away your punishment. He will keep your enemy from you. Do you believe the promise? He's singing over you. You say, Tom, he seems, oh, this holy and righteous God, he's too far away. I can't feel him. I don't know what that is like. What must it be like? I can't hear the singing. Look at the promise. Do you trust the promise? The Lord your God is with you. He's not far away. He's right here. He's present. He's next to you, and he's singing over you. Tom, I can't hear. The struggle's too great. The obstacle's too big. I'm fighting cancer. The diabetes. My spouse just passed away. And you think the obstacle's too great. Financial, emotional, mental, depression. I, don't, I, can't, I can't hear the singing. The Lord your God is with you. He is the mighty warrior who saves. You say, Tom, I can't hear my shame, how people think about me, how I think about myself. I can't hear the singing. This is the promise. Do you trust the promise? He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you but will rejoice over you with singing. The God of the universe, the creator of everything, takes delight in you and is rejoicing over you in singing. Stop believing the lies. Satan is trying to convince you that God is far away, that all he wants to do is judge you, to rebuke you, that he wants you to be in your fear, Stop believing the lies. That is not what God wants for you. That is not how God feels for you. That is not how God thinks about you. I want every one of you to shut your eyes. Please shut your eyes. I know that many of you here this morning are struggling. I know that many of you here this morning are feeling tired and worn out. You're discouraged and you're overwhelmed. And you wonder, does God even love me? Does He even care? 
I want you to listen to his words of promise. Spoken directly to you. The Lord, your God, is with you. The mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. That is how the Lord your God feels about you. Heavenly Father, I pray for each one of us here this morning. And I ask, Lord, that each one of us here would know down deep in the depths of our soul. We would know to the bottom of our hearts that you are a God who is with us, who is mighty to save, who delights in us, who quiets us in our fears, and who rejoices over us in singing. Lord, I pray that you would hold back the evil one and you would keep each one of us from believing his lies and that, Lord, we would rest and be refreshed in the truth of your word and who you are and how you feel about us. Lord God, help us to know your love for us. In Jesus' name. Amen.